Welcome to The Bazaar. Don't you hate it when you've just had the same song stuck in your head all day, like on repeat, like the same song? All day I've been hearing TLC's Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls, or Waterfalls, you know the one, Don't Go Chasing, but it's just that part because I don't know the rest of the lyrics. (laughs) Hey there and welcome to the bazaar. If you haven't figured it out by now, I suck at introductions, but I keep trying. Here we are, I'm Alicia and I am your host. Episodes of The Bazaar launch every Friday, so turn on those notifications. Do not make me keep yelling at you to do so. As always, this episode of The Bazaar will involve mature and explicit themes, topics, and content. Audience discretion is advised. Information for today's episode comes from The 13th Floor, Wikipedia, BuzzFeed, and of course, my favorite, allthatsinteresting.com. This week, we'll be talking about the unsolved mystery of the Jameson family. The Jamesons were your average American family, or maybe stereotypical is a better word. The father Bobby, the mom Sherilyn, and their six-year-old Madison, as well as Madison's dog Maisie. The Jamesons lived in, oh god, how do you pronounce this? Ifala? Ifala. Sure, we're gonna go with Ifala. It's Ifala, Oklahoma. The Jamesons were traveling to Red Oak, which is home to about 500 people, a solid quarter of a university campus, really. Allegedly, the Jamesons were going to Red Oak to purchase a 40-acre lot. But there's something a little fishy about that. The mother, Sherilyn, had a son from a previous marriage who stated that when he visited his mother two weeks prior, she never mentioned moving. It's weird, right? You'll understand why later when I continue on with the story, but you would think you would tell all of your children about your plans to move a town over, regardless of whether or not it was final. The reason that this trip seemed to set off some alarm bells was because Bobby, Sherilyn, and their six-year-old daughter, Madison, went missing in that same Red Oak mountain area of southeast Oklahoma in October of 2009. When their truck was found, there was no signs of foul play, and the vehicle hadn't crashed. It was almost just like the family had parked the car, gotten up, and walked off on their own. Inside the car was Bobby and Sherilyn's wallets, IDs, cell phones, GPS, and over $30,000 in cash. You know, just carrying around some light spare change, am I right? Nothing totally weird to see here. As if this couldn't get more strange, the Jamesons left behind their beloved dog, Maisie. But don't worry, Maisie lived out a good life after this with Bobby's mother. Thank God we can all rest easy. When the police searched the car, they found what would have been one of the only clues in this case. The police found a letter from Sherilyn to her husband, Bobby, and the contents of that letter weren't great. In fact, the letter pointed towards marital issues. Both Bobby and Sherilyn suffered from depression. But this wasn't the only thing that made authorities think something went awry. Sherilyn's pistol was also missing from her truck. So far, we have a bunch of personal items left behind that normally anybody would take with them. A letter and a missing gun. It's not looking good. There was also a photo of Madison found on one of the cell phones. In all the research I've done, it's not clear whose cell phone it was on, whether it was Bobby's or Sherilyn's. 
This was the last known photograph of Madison taken earlier the day the Jamesons went missing. In the photo, Madison is standing by herself, looking pretty upset. I don't really know if this photo has any significance to the case. I mean, I remember when I was little and if I was having a tantrum or something, my parents would just laugh about it and maybe even take a picture of me if I looked ridiculous. I don't know if this points to some awful situation that happened prior, and if it did, I can't see Sherilyn or Bobby taking a picture of their child upset just for the point of it. Like I said, Bobby and Sherilyn seem to have a good enough marriage. Now, no marriage is perfect, but they seem to be a good team, and they loved their daughter Madison. There wasn't any signs of abuse or any hardships going on in the home like that. During the investigation, a search team of over 100 people combed through the area where the car was located, to no success. No sign of them was found until five years later in November. Two hunters came across skeletal remains three miles off from the Jameson's car. The bodies were badly decomposed. Even weirder, all three bodies were found lying face down in the same way and perfectly side by side. Later testing revealed that these three were the missing Jamesons. Because of severe decomposition, the cause of their death was never determined. I don't want to sound like a dick here, and this is going to start to sound like a rant, so I'm just going to preface this with that. The bodies were found three miles away from the car. I think it's great there was a search party that went out. I think that's the natural thing to do if a family goes missing in such a deeply forested area. And I get it. It's a mountainous region, but three miles. Five years later, the bodies were found. Nobody found those bodies, and they were only three miles away from the car. Sorry, that just like blows my mind. People had one job to search for these bodies, and they were so close the entire time, and nobody found anything. That's the one part of this case that is extremely frustrating for me to wrap my head around. Okay, I'm cool. Rant over. Let's get back to the case. Now, this story gives me the worst case of goosebumps. I'd like to say everything I read about for this podcast gives me goosebumps, but the way their car was left was pretty eerie, and the way their bodies were found just pushes me right over the edge. If anybody is drinking a glass of wine with me, now's the time to finish it. Now that we've gone over what happened, Let's get into the theories, because of course, there are only theories as this case is still unsolved. The first and most violent theory involves a murder-suicide. As I said before, both parents were suffering from depression. Sherilyn was also in the middle of grieving her sister. The letter found in their car was an angry letter written to Bobby from Sherilyn. Some think that Sherilyn was really unhappy in her marriage to Bobby. Because of this letter and Sherilyn's missing gun, it's been theorized that Sherilyn led her family out to the woods where she killed her husband and daughter and then turned the gun on herself. Now, there isn't a lot of evidence behind this theory. Not only that, but Sherilyn loved her daughter. I don't think she would have done anything to hurt her, disappointing marriage or not. I don't like to speculate about this theory a lot. It's very sensitive, and I'm not sure there is any clear evidence or motive that sets up to prove that this could be a possibility. Now, I could be mistaken about this, but in all the articles I read, Sherilyn's gun was never actually found anywhere near the bodies. It wasn't anywhere on the scene, so either the gun is still missing, or they didn't even have it with them that day. 
The second theory involves Bobby's father. Bobby and his father didn't get along. They used to share a family business, and the funds of that business were supposed to be split evenly between them. Long story short, Bobby's father screwed his son over and tried to take all the money for himself. This resulted in an intense legal battle that tore the family apart. Bobby actually ended up suing his dad, and his dad relented. Or so we know. Bobby's mother actually claims to this day that her ex-husband threatened Bobby and his family during that financial dispute. There was also large amounts of evidence that implicated Bobby's father with the local mafia. Now, in my movie experience, usually when someone's involved with the mafia, that doesn't exactly make them a stand-up guy. That makes them the kind of guy to, you know, cut off a horse's head and put it in your bed next to you. Wow, it's like I'm the gangster Dr. Seuss or something. So hypothetically, let's say Bobby's father was involved in the mafia. We know that in the Jameson's car, there was a large amount of money in cash found in the vehicle. Sure, we could hypothesize that this money was going to be used to pay for the lot on the spot, right? But what if they were taking that money to bring to Bobby's father? What if they had arranged some sort of meeting that day and it went wrong? I mean, there is a possibility based on the threats Bobby's father was making against his son's family that Bobby just wanted it all to stop and he showed up to pay his father his cut and something bad happened instead. Unfortunately, because of insufficient physical evidence, Bobby's father was never looked into further by the authorities. As much as we want to hypothesize about this, it's only circumstantial evidence that doesn't really lead to much. Bobby Sr. passed away two months after the Jamesons went missing. The third theory involves the use of drugs. This is one of the most popularized theories surrounding the Jamesons. Think Breaking Bad, just less glamorous and, you know, with real consequences. The area of Red Oak, Oklahoma is known for producing crystal meth. People allege that the trip to Red Oak that the Jamesons took was not the first. During their disappearance, friends and family came forward to the police with concerns about how strange Sherilyn and Bobby were looking days before the family's trip. In several eyewitness testimonies, Bobby and Sherilyn appeared to be very thin and almost sickly in their complexions. They were actually showing a lot of the physical signs of withdrawal. In the middle of the investigation for the missing family, police also pulled footage from the Jameson's security cameras outside of the home. These videos haven't been released to the public, I don't think, but apparently they showed evidence of Sherilyn and Bobby acting really weird. So far, we have physical signs of withdrawal, such as dramatic weight loss and poor complexion, and now we have erratic behavior. With all the drug problems, as we know, comes the fatal conclusion of finances. A neighbor of the Jamesons, who's remained anonymous, came forward to the police that the family was having financial problems which makes me doubt that they would suddenly be looking into purchasing a property in a different neighborhood, let alone 40 acres worth of property. The rest of the theory pieces together like this. Sherilyn and Bobby had a massive drug problem. The person they would meet up with was from Red Oak, who would sell them meth. They dug themselves into a deep hole when they couldn't pay their dealer back. The Jamesons met up with their dealer in Redwood in a secluded area. Then something went wrong. But, like I said, this is a theory, and here comes the weak point of the theory. You know me, <laughs> I'm always playing both sides here. I can't help but poke at the fact that 
even though no parent is perfect, like I've said like a broken record, Sherilyn and Bobby really cared about their only daughter. I doubt they would have brought her and the family dog to a drug deal. As well, in a search of the Jameson home, car, and physical remains, there was no evidence of drugs or any other illegal paraphernalia. When someone's using harsh drugs like crystal meth, there's usually other evidence around the home with the use of that drug. Like this wasn't some casual marijuana pickup, they weren't looking for some edibles. This is like really, really hard shit. And the fact that there was no other evidence to corroborate this makes me feel like this theory might be the weakest one. Now I know I just said that that theory is the weakest one. Now I'm gonna tell you the theory that makes the least bit of sense to me. The final and probably most fan favorite theory Okay, fan favorite, I realize it's probably not appropriate, maybe internet popularized. Okay, anyways, the last theory involves the practices of witchcraft and the paranormal. From here on out, whenever something unexplained happens in life, people always turn towards the supernatural. It's self-explanatory. It's the area of stuff that human beings can't process at this time. I'd like to give a heads up that this theory involves a negative connotation about witchcraft. I don't love to talk about theories that depict witchcraft as some evil and bad devil-worshipping thing, because the practice of witchcraft isn't like that at all. Okay, now that I've got that off my chest, are we cool? Cool? Cool. The Jameson's pastor, Gary Brandon, came to the police with a theory that at the time I'm sure the cops laughed at. I know I would've. Gary claimed that the Jamesons were waging spiritual warfare on the beyond. That's pretty intense, right? I mean, someone better be queuing up some righteous organ music. Apparently, both Gary and the Jamesons believed that they were being haunted by spirits in their home. The hauntings were getting so intense that their daughter Madison was communicating with the ghost of a dead child. Listen, if you know me at all, I've totally told you that the second a kid starts speaking to a ghost friend, I'm shipping them away to a boarding school. Not that I can afford boarding school, but I'll find a way. No child of mine is being possessed. Bobby apparently even went to the length of asking Gary if he could purchase special bullets to kill the ghosts. Bobby, my man, if you've ever watched a horror movie before, you'd know bullets, especially silver ones, are for werewolves. You shoot a ghost, it would totally go right through it, right? On top of this mess of a story, Sherilyn allegedly became interested in the occult. During a visit to this same pastor, Sherilyn confessed that Bobby had been exhibiting signs of possession. Here's a spooky side note for you. When the police went to search the Jamesons' house, they found little post-it notes with things like Get Out Satan left on them. I mean, to me, that sounds like the cutest love note, but in this case, it could definitely be something sinister. Also, one of Sherilyn's last computer searches was on whether or not her home was built on an old Native American burial ground. Somewhere amongst the plotline of the movie Poltergeist, Connie, Sherilyn's mother, believed that she and her family were actually on the hit list of a dangerous devil-worshipping cult. Now, it's important to note that Connie was a very religious woman. Religion played heavily into her life and the way she processed situations. Not that being religious is a bad thing, but it was something on her radar. I'm not trying to discredit Connie. I think that something very bad happened to this family something awful and cruel. And we've seen a lot of examples of violent cults over the years. But there's actually no evidence to suggest that a cult was in the area of Oklahoma at this time. 
usually with religious-based crimes and cult activity, there are a string of incidents that occur, not just one isolated one. (sighs) Okay, it's 2019 and we still don't know what happened to the Jamesons that day. Did someone murder them? If so, who would have the motive to kill them? A vengeful father-in-law hungry for money? Or were their deaths ultimately at their own hands? Or were they victims to a force way more sinister than we can even imagine? There are a lot of unanswered questions here. Why was little Madison involved? Why leave the dog shut in the car to starve to death? And what were the Jamesons really doing in Red Oak to begin with? Usually this is the part where I give you my opinion. I'd think about all the theories and try to piece together what I think about the case. But I don't know how the Jamesons ended up where they did, or why they went to Red Oak in the first place. One part of the case that I keep obsessing over, though, is the arrangement of the bodies. To me, it seems like they were lined up perfectly side by side in a purposeful way, like some kind of execution style. It's not known whether there was any bullet holes or evidence of foul play because of how badly the bodies were decomposed. The only thing I know for sure is that somebody, somewhere out there, is waiting in the wings. Someone knows something that we may never know. Thank you for stopping by the bazaar today. If you want to get more episodes of this podcast, please give us a five-star review on wherever you listen. The main hub to find us on is Anchor FM. On that website, you can find several other platforms The Bazaar is available on. We are on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, and other platforms for your enjoyment. I have an important job for you. Share this podcast with at least one other person. It takes two seconds, I promise. Grab that link and copy and paste it into a group chat or send it to your partner, your mom, your dad, your grandma, or your cat. Get creative. You can find The Bazaar on Facebook at The Bazaar Pod. Look for the same logo that you see here. You can also find The Bazaar on Instagram the exact same way. And with that, all I have left to say to you is peace out, nerds. <laughs>